When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Wrapping up the day's sporting issues deep into the night, this is Extra Time on SENZ. It's gone a couple of minutes past 8 o'clock here on SENZ. It is extra time with Ricardo Ball through till 10 o'clock tonight. Uh, and then uh, we are going to cross uh, back to Melbourne for the big tennis show for a couple of hours ahead of midnight. Um, and this hour, we're going to look at the NRL. There's been uh, some talk that uh, they're going to expand to 20 teams. That's what Peter Volandis wants to do, 20 teams. Could we see the return of the Adelaide Rams? I'm going to go to Adelaide later in the year, uh, later in the hour, and find out, um, find out what the what the take is there, and um, what the rugby league is like in South Australia. Very much Aussie rules territory. Uh, we'll also catch up with Stephen Gallagher as well from Sports Freak. Get his take on the weekend's round and his Dragons actually showing up, doing something I don't think too many thought they would do. Absolutely steamrolled the uh, the Titans. So. Uh, he'll be pleased. He's probably the, the happiest he's been in a while to come on and talk to us after that. But before we do all of that, Ben Francis has his one New Zealand Warriors player ratings from the weekend. Are you going to do this every week? So the idea being that we can compile all the scores and at the end of it, like have our very own Clive Churchill medal type thing. Yeah, well, I'm going to have to create an award and award the, the winner the Ben Francis medal. I don't know how honoured they would be. They'll probably be like, who's this? <laughs> <laughs> the, the Big Ben medal, they might think they get pies. 
Yeah. yeah. Well, we, we could work on something. That could be a good sponsor. Yeah, good be. Big Ben. I like it. Yeah. I like it. All right. All right. Big Ben Francis, the one New Zealand Warriors on the weekend. Uh, couldn't get it done against the Roosters, despite the Roosters being a bit light up front in the forward pack. Yeah, a bit light up in the forward pack. Uh, look, you always got to focus on the positives. And I think lots of the Warriors fans are trying to be a lot more positive this year. And I think the positive was that the Warriors did stay in the fight. There were still those little areas, but that could just be down to the gelling of a, a new team, whilst the Roosters probably took out those smaller moments. And that was probably the signs of a championship team, which you know the Roosters are. They've always always up there competing for the title. So, look, I think there were definitely positives from the Warriors. You know, tough to take the loss. They blew a couple of opportunities, but that's the difference. Yep, that is the difference. It's the way it goes. All right, well, let's get your scores then, uh, your play rating scores through the team, starting uh, with Charles Nickel Clockstad at fullback. Yeah, look, I had to give him a five, unfortunately. He went off about just after the 50th minute mark with the HI, didn't come back. Uh, don't think he had the same impact as last week. Did run the ball well, though. Um, at this stage, we're actually not 100% too sure whether he was going to play this coming weekend. So right. it's going to be very interesting to see who lines up at fullback for the Warriors and how the spine looks, whether they started Tamati Martin at fullback, moved Dylan Walker into the halves, or I can't remember his name off the top of my head, but there was the young fullback that they signed. I think it's uh, Taupiki who started or in the first trial game, I think it was at fullback, and he got signed to a full-time contract. And you know, he could even start. So who knows what's going to happen. But yeah, I had to give Chance a five this week. Um, partially just due to he didn't play the full game as well, so he, he could have had the chance to go higher or lower. Uh, what about Ed Cossey out on the wing? I thought he had a good game last week. Do you think he backed it up this week? Oh, look, he backed it up to an extent. I gave him a six. I think he's still going to be better off for getting these games. He's still a young, raw prospect. Um, I, I like what he's doing, um, but uh, unfortunately it's just a six for him this week. Um, Viliami, what do you think? Yeah, he also he didn't have the same impact like Chance. I think lots of the new signings didn't have that same impact um, as they did in the first week. Uh, he made a couple of mistakes here as well. I gave him a five. I love this. Adam Pompey. <laughs> I've got it written in front of me what you think of this one, but uh, please uh, enlighten us. Yeah, look, he gets a five as well, just another Pompey performance. I, To, to be honest, I don't mind Adam Pompey, but it's when when you kind of watch him play, you're like, yeah, not surprised yeah. that happens. So yeah. I just, I, my note was another Pompey performance. Another Pompey performance. What about Marcelo Montoya on the other wing? He didn't score as many points for me in fantasy as he normally as he did the week before. But uh, how do you think he went? Well, he led the way in, led, sorry, led the way in run meters again. Another steady performance. Unfortunately, it's just a six for him, and that's kind of you know when the teams lose, you, you generally get these lower scores. All right, what about Tamidi Martin then? Started at six, ended up at fullback. Yeah, I felt he was quite quiet when he moved to fullback, so that played a big part of my rating. So I gave him a five. Um, unfortunately, they didn't get a real chance to build that combination with Sean Johnson, but who knows what will happen. Yeah, well, what about Sean Johnson then? How did he go, do you think? Yeah, look, I was actually kind of impressed with Sean. You know, lots of the kicking has fallen his way, and I felt you know his, his running, kicking options are starting to get a bit better where they probably should be. I gave him a seven. A seven. All right, let's get into the forwards. Uh, Aden Fanua Blake, I, I thought he was better this week than he was last. You? you? Yeah, I totally agree, and that's why he gets a seven as well. He scored a try as well. Seemed like he had a lot more effort in there. Uh, probably currently leading the way in the uh, Ben Francis medal race, I think, has got to be Wade Egan, doesn't he? 
Look, he's definitely up there. He got a nine last week, and he's got an eight this week. Look, my main note for him is that I just think Warriors fans really, need, really, really need to start appreciating him. We touched on this last week. It's absolutely incredible how it seems everyone talks up Wade Egan except Warriors fans. <laughs> it's it's absolutely hilarious. Everyone you talk to in Australia rates him. And, look, I, I think under Andrew Webster, he's been fantastic so far. He's, he's playing a hand a lot of tries. He's making good runs. He's making lots of tackles. He's putting his body on the line like crazy. So, look, I, I really think that fans really need to start appreciating the work Wade Egan does. Uh, another guy that I thought worked really well uh, this week, uh, backed up his first performance in the jersey, was uh, Mitch Barnett. Yeah, look, out of all the new recruits uh, that the Warriors had, I thought he was probably the best out of the whole lot. A true, just a true monster up front, putting his body on the line a bit like Wade Egan, running hard, lots of tackles, good to see. Uh, what about Jackson Ford? He was uh, he had a truncated performance. Well, he only lasted a couple of minutes, so I, look, he gets a five because... For, this is how I do player ratings, and yeah. everyone does them differently. You kind of start off with a five, and you kind of work backwards, depending on if they go bad or they go up if they do well. So he gets a five because he really didn't do much. Don't so. know, yeah, it was an early early miss for him. Uh, Marata Niakore. Yeah, look, he didn't miss a tackle from the numbers I saw, but other than that, I didn't see too much of him, so I gave him a six. I think he, pl- he did play a hand, though, in I think it was the Fenua Blake try. Uh, just watching because I did not watch it live I must have never watched the replay uh, so uh, he gets a 6 he gets a 6 uh, what about uh, Tohu Harris the captain uh, well not the captain is he but is he the captain he is oh I thought Adam Fanua Blake was the captain was well, that he just was, last year I think it was well Tohu wasn't playing right okay so when Tohu's not on the field pretty much yeah right but yeah Tohu he, he's a 9 he's currently leading the way for the uh, the, the big Ben medal the big Ben medal. BBM. I, I, I like how we've got it now. The BBM. <laughs> the big Ben medal. No, just a true leader up front and, look, he, and fantastic. Another great performance from the captain. Uh, guy we might see more of this weekend, uh, depending on player welfare, uh, Dylan Walker. I gave him a six. He did have to play a couple of positions this week, and I once again with lots of the other new recruits, I don't think he had the same impact. He had a one kind of mistake. I don't not really a mistake. It was good to see him kick the ball because Sean Johnson's been in lots of the kicking, but he kicked it too deep, and the Roosters got a seven tackle set. What about uh, Bunty R four? I saw him tackle a lot. I didn't see him run the ball like he usually did, so he, I gave him a five. Okay, uh, Josh Curran. Uh, to me, he was going all right before he left the field injured as well. I gave him a six. Okay, uh, Tom Arley? Uh, he got a few more minutes this week compared to last week, but I don't think he had that same impact, so I gave him a five. And then uh, got got to use the 18th man. Yeah, Bailey Serenin. He gets a five. You know, uh, Bailey Serenin to me is in the Pompey category. It's just a, a Serenin performance. <laughs> if only it was Paul. If only it was Paul. <laughs> uh, there we go. There we, that is the uh, the big Ben medal uh, uh, numbers for player ratings. So after two weeks, Tohu Harris is currently top on 18. Ooh. Uh, Wade Egan is second on 17. Okay, all right. Okay, that surprised me. I thought Wade Egan would be uh, leading the way there, but it's all right. He's got time to come back. Got plenty of time. Plenty of time. Uh, we're, we're looking at the NRL. We're wrapping the latest round, round two of the NRL here, and we're going to do that every Monday night on SCNZ Extra Time. We should, though, uh, Ben mention the cricket because uh, there was some finish. Oh, boy, was it? That was... <laughs> I've, people are talking about it. In our in our SCNZ chat, but Smithy is going to be claiming quite a few royalties with the, the by the barest of margins line getting thrown out for the second time yeah. in, in, in a couple of weeks. But it literally what it came down to, absolutely phenomenal with <laughs> the last ball. 
just the bat just making it over the line before the ball hit the stumps. It's one of those things you just couldn't time it. When when the play got underway, you thought, nah, surely the Black Hatters won't get there. But Kane Williamson and Daryl Mitchell, eh? Yep, Kane Williamson and Daryl Mitchell uh, uh, did pretty good. And Neil Wagner, shout out to Neil Wagner. He is out of the next test, but he came in and ran anyway with a bulging disc in his back and a torn right hamstring. Didn't actually end up facing a ball, but he had to come on and, and uh, be at the non-strikers end, so had to run that single. I have a feeling that Grant or Daniel is going to be nominating Neil Wagner as the workhorse of the week on Saturday session after that. 100%, 100%. So, yeah, I was, I was trying to talk to Peter and Justin and do the rugby shows while trying to keep an eye on the cricket and not appear rude. It wasn't easy to do. So I, I had to watch the replay of the end. But, uh, yeah, that was uh, some uh, one hell of a win uh, for the Black Caps against the Sri Lankans only a couple of days now until we start again. Uh, I think it's at the Basin Reserve, isn't it, the uh, the second test? So uh, that will be a good time to see uh, what sort of team uh, the Black Caps put out because there will be a few changes, you would have to think, with no Neil Wagner available. It is 12 past 8 here on SENZ Extra Time when we come back. Stephen Gallagher joins us from Sports Freak, and we are going to talk NRL round two and get his uh, big winners and his big losers. At 17 past eight here on SENZ, this is Extra Time. Ricardo Ball through till 10 o'clock in this hour. We are talking NRL and from Sports Freak, Stephen Gallagher joins us uh, to talk the latest round. And you would have uh, had the night fevers last night, mate, after your Dragons got up over the Titans. Didn't see that coming. 32-18. Oh, especially when we were down uh, 10-2 early on and we looked at all all sorts and we looked like um, we were in for a, a long season and then uh, it was about four tries in about 15 minutes and it was all on and um, oh, I'll tell you what, sitting pretty undefeated, third position on the, on the, on the table, like Grand final looks pretty good from here, I'd say. <laughs> <laughs> I've got to say, uh, Tyrell Sloan had a great game from fullback. And uh, I don't know if you caught this in the commentary, but uh, they were saying that last season he nearly quit. He, he asked to be released because he wasn't playing enough football. And <laughs> I don't know if you heard this, but, but one of the commentators said, yeah, uh, apparently he complained to his grandmother about it and she told him to harden up and work harder. I was like, go grandma. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, stop being a fuck with her words, I'm pretty sure, which is just absolutely phenomenal. Um, he's, he's got a great relationship with his grandmother. She uh, presented his debut jersey to him. So I'm sure that, um, you know, when she uh, saw him um, dotting down untouched last night and having a bit of confidence about his game, she would have been uh, mighty proud. And those words would have been ringing in his ears, that's for sure. Yeah, 100%, mate, 100%. I mean, I didn't see this coming. Uh, the guy at my uh, at my local bottle shop is a big Dragons fan. I talked to him. I talked to you. I talked to a Dragons fan from over in Australia. All of you thought you were in for the for a battle for the wooden spoon. Um, so where, where are you now? I know it's only one game, but where are you now? Well, look, I think, um, I think the hardest part about it was waiting basically two complete rounds to play that first game and now that kind of game's over it's you know there's a little bit of pressure being released I suppose on the club but now they've got the biggest battle to back that up that performance up against uh, the Broncos this coming weekend um, look the Rome wasn't built in a day a win's a win it definitely helps but um, look there's there's still a lot of questions to be answered um, 
a lot of positions that are still up for grabs. And um, really, look, I'll just say I'll, I'll take the win. I'll take the, the early premiership and um, and, we'll, and we'll go from there. But um, don't know if the top eight's on the cards, but look, I'll, I'll sit pretty after round two, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah, looking uh, looking all right, mate. Looking all right. Looking better than I thought you would look, uh, which is something that we can't say uh, probably about either the Knights or the Tigers. I mean, that game was an awful game, wasn't it? I describe that game as a good game, but crap at the same time. Like it was, you know, those games where it's like you're you're enjoying it, but you don't really know why. That's kind of what I felt like when I was watching that. It was a bit of a bludger. Um, not as you know, I think the most exciting part of the game happened afterwards when um, Jackson Hastings went up to apologise to uh, Tommy Talao about breaking his nose, and Tommy Talao wasn't that happy about it. Yeah, well, I'm not surprised. It was a pretty high shot. I mean, if you whack me across the schnoz, Ricardo, I'd be pretty fired up too, to be fair, especially if I played for the Tigers. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And and then I, I noticed uh, he, he, Jackson Hastings was going to argue the toss, but then David Clemmer got involved and he decided uh, discretion was the better part of valour and retreated quite quickly. <laughs> yeah, look, uh, you know, even if I saw uh, David Clemmer 100 metres away, I'd be retreating pretty quickly, that's for sure. Yeah, mate. Uh, yeah, exactly. Um, so what the Tigers do now, they're two games at Leichhardt, so two home games against the Titans and the Knights, two teams you'd think if you're going to be a top eight team, you need to be beating at home, and they've lost both of them. So does that relegate the Tigers to a bottom four position, do you think, for you overall? I, I would say so. I think this is the, the, I think the most losses in a row by the home side at Leichhardt is five, and I think they've equaled that. So that's, um, it's not, not looking good for the Tigers. Um, I think they desperately lack some direction on the field and um, I don't think it gets any easier when they play the Bulldogs this coming Sunday, I'm pretty sure, after their inspired victory over Melbourne. But um, I just don't see any positive attacking flair or performance or direction when when, when they're with uh, ball in hand. So they really need to remedy that. I don't know if John Bateman's going to somehow magically solve all their problems when he when he starts to play, but they just... They just don't look like they're going to be able to score tries this season. And, and you know, for all their signings and the way that um, uh, Epicoroso is, um, you know, running around from from, uh, from dummy half, it's really hard for them to not score points when you've got someone so good like that. And we've seen him, you know, transform the Panthers. And when he was at Manly before that too, he was a fantastic player. He just, just probably, you know, maybe they're three to four weeks away from just finding their feet and finding, you know, playing with each other and everything like that. And and I think that goes back to the trials where I really believe that they should have played their, uh, their best side for those two trials just to sort of gel those formations on the field. Yeah, and it's a bit of a head-scratcher, mate, to be honest, because their spine actually looks pretty good. You know, if you consider that you've got Dane Laurie at fullback, uh, then you've got Adam Dewey and Luke Brooks in the halves, uh, you've got Appy Corusau, um, at hooker, uh, I mean, you, you're probably lacking a, um, a a real quality lock. But I mean, outside of that, that's not a bad spine. And they played against 12 men for about 14 minutes at the end of the game, so you should be able to get across the line with with that sort of lineup. I would have thought. Yeah, I think so too. Like, I, you know, I, I think Adam Dewey's a really fantastic footballer. He's one of those players that it doesn't matter where you play him, he's going to try his heart out 110. percent um, Dane Laurie's so exciting at the back, but I just the the play just seemed to break down quite often for them. You know, they were running across 
you know, the field sideways. They weren't hidden those holes like they should be. You know, there wasn't any footwork at the line. It was all very laboured and it was all very slow for the Tigers. They just seemed a little bit off the pace. They did, mate. They did. All right. Well, we talk Tigers another time because uh, I, I think we spend far too much time on on a wooden spoon candidate as it is. Uh, let's let's go back to Thursday night and the Panthers and the Rabbits. I mean, the Panthers got up in this one, but they were hanging on towards the end. The Rabbitohs uh, were certainly um, putting the pressure on, and I and I thought um, there was a, there was a lot of niggle in this game as well, mate. Yeah, there seemed to be a lot of feeling in that, and and I assume that's because every time it comes down to it, the Panthers have the the Rabbitohs number. You know, I think their last ten starts have won nine against the the Rabbitohs, and the only time the Rabbitohs have beat them was that um, first week of the of the finals in in twenty 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 one. It also sort of helps, you know, with uh, Latrell, the character is is sort of firing some shots midweek and saying there's some cracks in the windshield of this Penrith side, but, you know, Penrith are just far too good. They're so competitive. Even, you know, when, uh, you know, things didn't go their way, you could see they still had a little bit of composure on on their side and they just looked a little bit smoother. They looked a little bit better this week, especially compared to week one where they just sort of dropped a lot of ball and they didn't look that smart. But it definitely, uh, you could definitely tell that the Rabbitohs were lacking a couple of key forwards through the middle. They just lacked a little bit of punch and desire through there. And every time they did sort of try uh, cut through that uh, defense of the Panthers, the Panthers sort of really stood up and, and pushed them back. And um, the way that they execute and, and the way that Penrith sort of play off the cuff, or if they play direct from from the halves, from Cleary and Luai, they always look real like they always look they like they know where they need to go and. And that's a sign of a championship side that, you know, they can win these sorts of competition games where it's miggly, there's a little bit of feeling in it, there's a little bit of emotion, but they can also um, come together when it counts as well and put points on the on the, on the field and, and on the scoreboard. But they just did their very best to, to lose it almost uh, through sort of the last sort of quarter of the game, but they, they did enough and, and they looked the goods and they got the result. And I think it's the most important thing for them is that they got that win, they go into the bye this week and then they can sort of reset their, their ways and, and see what they're going to do for week four. Yep, so they've got. A, it's probably a good time to have a bye. You can have a, have a look at everybody. You can, you've can you got a couple of games and anger under your belt and then you can reset. Um, the Eels would love to do that, mate. Uh, two games, two losses. Uh, sit 16th at the moment. I uh, thought they had that game against the Sharks in the bag, um, but I think they thought they, that as well, and uh, they, they let the Sharkies back in. That was, I think that was my game of the round, to be honest. Um, probably not for you, Ricardo, but it was uh, a fantastic game. I think it was it was by far the, the game of the round for me. It was just free-flowing footy. Um, you know, uh, Will Kennedy played fantastic for the Sharks. Um, you know, Mitchell Moses, despite losing another milestone game, really stood up and really delivered. Um, and I think it really came down to that uh, Wunga Blake uh, pretty much should have just given the ball to uh, Mike Acevo with about 30 seconds to go. And I think you'd back Mike Acevo uh, 10 times out of 10 with one man to beat five metres out from the line, wouldn't you? Hundred percent, mate. Hundred percent. Yeah, that uh, will be something that no doubt they they will be drilling and training this week. I would, I, I suspect, Stephen. Yeah, especially when um, when it comes to them playing uh, Manly on Thursday, and we know uh, just how easily Manly disposed of the Bulldogs in round one. Um, you know, the Eels, despite you know being early sort of you know, top four sort of favourites, they can be steering down an 0-3 start to the season and, um, you know, there's a little bit of pressure building on Brad Arthur if that's the case. But, you know, after two weeks, they've had two 
really tight losses, four-point losses. So they're not off the pace by any means, but they definitely need to win uh, sooner rather than later. Yeah. Uh, what, what have you made so far of Josh Hodgson um, as halfback in this para team? Because I'll tell you, I, I mean, as a, as a para fan, he doesn't get, he doesn't. If you're defending him, you know you don't have to worry about the run because he never does it. He always steps off sideways and mm. passes. Uh, he doesn't do the. He, he never seems to shoot from dummy half. I, I think you look at how Reed Marnie's, you know, his first two games for the Bulldogs, they've sort of moulded their attack around how good Reed Marnie can be coming out of the nine. He's, you know, he's so good. He's so elusive. He can make those holes. But it looks like to me that Brad Arthur and Parramatta, when they're on attack, their game just runs out of Moses and Brown. So they don't ever get any sort of go forward from the hooker. You know, you take a look at someone like Harry Grant, like any chance he can get, if you give him an inch, he'll go a mile. That never happens with Hodgson. He's a good player. He's a great service nine. He's, he's strong. He's really good on defense, and he'll give you quality ball every single time. But I think they need just another little something out of him, just play that sort of game where he can sort of catch the markers off or, or anything like that. And if, and if I'm if I'm a marker and I know Josh Hodgson's at dummy half, I'm not gonna you know I'm not gonna have to be worried about his running game. I know he's just gonna give the ball to Moses or Brown. And I think maybe they need a little add a little bit of spice to their attack and add that sort of nine role as, as another threat for Parramatta. Otherwise, um, everyone knows it's just gonna go to Moses and Brown and they can sort of pressure the halves a little bit more and it gives them less time on attack. Yeah, hundred percent, mate. And I mean, uh, Parra have just let Nathan Brown go to the Roosters, um, and I could see Hodgson playing as a thirteen. To be honest, um, if they can find someone uh, who can who can play at hooker and actually run out of dummy half. Uh, what about the Bronx? Didn't see this coming. Two games, two wins for them. Uh, as Kevy Kevy Walters a, a better coach than Selwyn Cobbo thinks. <laughs> well, uh, he, he must be if they're two from two, especially um, when they got a really, really good win against a, a very good Cowboys side on uh, on Friday night. It was a really good game. They played really strong. Um, I definitely feel sorry for Corey Goats, who was on the end of a, a crusher tackle and a, a broken jaw in the space of about 30 minutes on uh, on Friday night. But um, look, I think they, they, they really backed themselves. You know, Obviously, the Cowboys came out strong, but there was never a moment where... You were watching this Broncos side where they panicked too much. And, and I assume a lot of that comes down to having someone like Adam Reynolds in the halves who can direct the team around. He's got a cool head. And, and you think someone like Ezra Mam, he's got a, another year under his belt now. He's in his second season. Reese Walsh is in his, you know, second and a half season. And he played fantastically. And they just seem to uh, really get a lot of ball through the middle and the likes of Carrigan and Haas were just doing some great runs and, and then you get it out to the, the edge edge rowers and edge back rowers and they just looked like they had a lot of fun as well and when the Bulldogs, uh, when the Broncos are having fun and when they're playing really smart direct footy and giving giving a bit of uh, you know direction around the field they look really good and that's exactly what they did to the Cowboys they, you know, they didn't worry about that. They were down, you know, 12 points early on. They just held on, held on, chipped away, chipped away, and then they got the result, and they looked fantastic at the end, especially uh, Reese Walsh playing better in one game than he ever has for the Warriors. So um, I'm sure uh, all the fans at Mount Smart weren't too happy about that. <laughs> no, no, not at all, mate, not at all. I, I've got to wonder, um, I'm trying to remember who it was. Was it Jack Whiten that Felice Kalfusi absolutely ironed out um, in the game between the Dolphins and the, and the Raiders, much like he did to... Cheese and Radley in, in game one. Man, he is hitting harder than I've ever seen him hit. 
Yeah, I think it was Hudson Young. I'm pretty sure, or, or it might have been Whiten, but I'm pretty sure it was Hudson Young. But he, um, I don't know, I don't know what's coming to uh, Felice Cafusi in this uh, Redcliffe Dolphins jersey because we didn't really see much of that at the, at his, you know, his eight to ten years he spent at the Melbourne Storm. But he's come out and he has just asserted his dominance over, you know, the opposition, and he's basically changed the game for the Dolphins to win with two great defensive plays in two weeks and you know that's you know I'm sure uh, Arthur Beetson's looking down and, and seeing that and going you know this is exactly why um, Redcliffe has picked him up and that's why Wayne's got him and that's why he was the first person signed because they know he's got this ability he's fantastic and he's done that and I've to, to his credit like, I've never really thought of uh, Felice Cafusi as a, a really dynamic or a very good player but the first two weeks he's really taken that leadership role and taken it upon his shoulders to, to turn the game defensively and it takes a really good player to do that and he's done really well for them. Yeah, he's done a great job for them. So the Dolphins are 2-0 and as well. Uh, tell you what, you mentioned the Melbourne Storm. If there's one thing you don't want to be this week, it's a Melbourne Storm player after that loss uh, because <laughs> training is going to be brutal. It, uh, it, to, you know, if, if I'm Craig Bellamy, I'm thinking... I should have just quit last year, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm, I'm pretty sure all the players will be thinking that too because they're going to get absolutely blogged this week. There's no two ways about it. <laughs> yeah, hundred percent, mate. All good. All right. Who was your uh, Who was your standout um, uh, for over the weekend, mate? Was there Was there one player that you really went? This guy's This guy's owned the round. I actually really liked um, the way that. Uh, Reed Marnie played for the Bulldogs uh, against uh, the Storm. I thought the way that he sort of um, made some really important darts, some really important runs um, from dummy half, and, and the way that he just sort of got them on the front foot every time they needed to get on the front foot, every time the Storm looked like they were having a strong defensive set. There's just something about Reed Marnie, the way he played, the way he uh, sniped and he just he just looked really good for the Bulldogs and he's really fit into that Bulldogs mould. The other person I really liked uh, to see was um, uh, Hamiso Tabiwafido who is just loves to score tries obviously and he did the exact same thing for the Cowboys last year but he you know he scored two tries uh, for the Dolphins on, on Saturday night when they were down to 12 men so he's done a fantastic job of getting them around the field and getting that he sort of he very much in that Josh Adokar mould where he's, a lot of energy and hype comes from him and they can see that the players feed off that and he's, um, he's done a good job. So those are probably my two players of the round. Beautiful. Good stuff. Stephen Gallagher from sportsfreak.co.nz, mate. Thanks for your time. Keep up the good work. We'll catch up again next Monday, eh? All good, mate. Take it easy, eh? Yeah, will do. There we go. Uh, Stephen Gallagher uh, with us every Monday talking NRL. It is 26 away from nine. When we come back, we head to Adelaide. We're going to talk the future of the Rams. This is SENZ Extra Time. Ricardo Ball with you through till 10 o'clock. We're talking rugby league this hour. And I saw a story pop up today on Twitter from Nine News in Adelaide saying a new $400 million NRL expansion has left the door open for Adelaide to rejoin the competition in a bid to overtake AFL as the nation's top football code. Should Adelaide rejoin the league? And I thought, well... It's not a matter of should, it's a matter of when, isn't it? And uh, so I thought uh, we should get somebody uh, who is a bit more versed in these things to talk to us about it, and Aidan Laird does exactly that. G'day, Aidan, how you doing? 
Thank you, Ricardo. Thanks for having me on. Mate, my pleasure. You are part of a group uh, that um, are Adelaide Rams fans, I guess, uh, just in waiting, right? I mean, uh, I, I take it you followed the team uh, back in the Super League days and you, you, you're just waiting for this moment to happen. That's absolutely right. We're, we're called, we call ourselves the Jumbuck Army and we're diehard Adelaide Rams fans. Um, a lot of us, uh, you know, supported the Rams back in the day and, we've, you know, we're, we've been waiting patiently for our glorious return to the NRO and it looks like it might be happening. So, Just how big is rugby league in South Australia? Obviously, um, AFL we know is, is big there. You've got the Port Adelaide Power and you've got the Adelaide Crows. But, I mean, how big is rugby league and how visible is it, say, you know, in the, in the Adelaide papers and that sort of thing? To be completely honest with you, rugby league is not that popular in South Australia. South Australia is definitely Australian most football dominated, AFL dominated, as well as uh, soccer and cricket. So how many players are there then? I mean, because I, I look at this and think, you know, from a, say from a Warriors point of view, we've got a catchman here. We've got a lot of, we've got a, a big club scene for rugby league, um, big club scene for rugby as well, where you, where you can pilfer players from if, you, if, you, if you're of, of a mind to. I mean, how big is the player pool locally? Well, according to, my, according to the latest data and from what my sources tell me, uh, we have roughly about just over 1,000 registered players. Uh, that's uh, locally in Adelaide and across the state, and the actual uh, NRL uh, premier, like the premier, our state league that we have here, we have about five clubs participating. So, okay, so you got five clubs at that at that level. Do you think you have the depth there uh, to sustain a team and the support? You know, the numbers, uh, the people to, to buy season tickets, to buy jerseys, and to fill a stadium. I think with some careful investment and some strong planning we do it will take a couple of years uh because you know it's we're expanding in a in a region that's not very that doesn't have a lot of rugby league development in it i mean um but we do have the capability to have a team you know uh after some careful investment after some careful planning definitely in a couple of years time maybe five ten years time I mean, I know it's taken a while for the for the Melbourne Storm to produce locally grown players. They tend to bring guys in from uh, New South Wales academies or Queensland academies. Um, is that how you see um, Adelaide having to having to start? Basically, is it, it has to be imports? Well, I think it will be. You know, I think there will be a lot of import players coming in when it does get started. And I think we would be relying heavily on New South Wales and Queensland to help us get our uh, grassroots and domestic league up. But having said that, there are there is quite a lot of uh, local talent that you know have made it through the uh, you know the cat system and then into the New South Wales Rugby League and Queensland Cup as well. And so you know the talent is there. It's not as large as it is in other states, but it is there. And with that sort of investment coming from the NRL that will give more opportunities for young rugby league players in South Australia to, you know, develop the game further. And I think, you know, after, after 10, 15 years, you'll start to see more uh, players popping up and everything. We'll get those numbers up. Yeah, is there any uh, relationship existing at the moment between, uh, you know, the Adelaide uh, statewide or the South Australia statewide competition and a New South Wales or Queensland Cup side? Uh, do you have a pathway for, for local players at the moment? Uh, at the moment, uh, from recent memory, the only sort of um, 
Well, the, the NRISA is run by the NRI itself, and we have about three development officers in Adelaide at, at the moment. Um, so that's the sort of connection there. So the NRL does support us in that way. In regards to the New South Wales, uh, you know, rugby league, any of the cup competitions there, like the SG Bowl League or the, you know, the New South Wales Cup itself, there is no direct pathway for South Australians or, like, no actual South, Re- South Australian representative uh, in that sort of league. The only representation that we have is at the CAS level, uh, where the SA Rams, the state rep team, plays. Are there any players, uh, South Australian-born players, currently playing in the NRL? Um, it's hard to say. I can't remember exactly. There is one player, I can't remember his name exactly, but he has some heritage uh, to South Australia. Um, it sounds bad that I can't remember his name, but I know that there is uh, that element there. But, um, no, I can't say for sure, sorry. What do you think it would take to engage a broader uh, audience into a rugby league and into, say, an NRL team based in Adelaide, do you think? I think um, community engagement would be good. If, you, if, you, if, the, if people in Adelaide see the NRL, you know, supporting the game growing schools, for example, and, you know, doing, you know, stuff for the community, people will start to get warm towards it. They won't, they won't see it as a big, you know, as like some big investor coming in and starting a new franchise, like how the Adelaide Rams were. If you see the NRL doing more sort of uh, community development and targeting those sort of uh, areas, then the people in Adelaide would warm up to supporting a rugby league uh, NRL franchise. And, you know, people in Adelaide, we love our teams, we love, we love our local sport. I think, you know, it's pretty easy to get everyone in the state following this team. So, Do you think, is it a, is it a nailed on that if uh, an Adelaide team comes back into the NRL that it's going to be called the Rams? Or, you know, I'm thinking about uh, there's the North Sydney Bears, for example, and there's that ownership group, management group that have been trying and lobbying for ages to get uh, back in to the NRL. Um, would would Adelaide, would South Australia be open to, to having an import of that sort uh, and, and having it as a Bears organisation, or do you think it will be a Rams? I think South Australians and Adelaideans would prefer a local-grown franchise, whether that be the rebirth of the Adelaide Rams or a completely new sort of franchise with a new mascot. Um, that's what I think most people here would prefer because we do love our own local talent. However, given the situation, I don't think everyone would be opposed to, let's say, a team such as like the Brisbane Tigers slash Firehawks or the North Sydney Bears moving to Adelaide and, you know, developing their franchise there. Um, I don't think people would be opposed to that and they would embrace that because at the end of the day, it's not so much about the mascot or the origin of the club. It's the, it's about having an Adelaide element in the NRL. That's what's important to the people. Yeah, interesting. All right, Aidan. Um, when do you think, uh, looking at the timeline, when do you think you will know uh, about this expansion based on uh, the story that came out today and what Peter Volandes has said? Obviously, we're at 17 teams at the moment. He wants there to be 20. So when do you think uh, you're likely to get the good news or the bad news, as it may be? Well, I think it's still early days because it, you know, all of this depends on how well the 17th franchise, the Dolphins, does. Um, you know, we've seen you know early success, winning the first two rounds and everything, and that's great. However, um, you know, there's still a whole season to go. We've got to see how they perform. You know, if they can make the top eight, top four, even then we can definitely, uh, you know, there's going to be more talks about expansion. But you know, if they don't do so well, then perhaps those sort of talks will die down. I'm I'm expecting. 
a more serious, cohesive sort of uh, news about further expansion by around the 2025, 2026 sort of mark. Okay, good stuff, man. Hey, listen, Aidan, I really appreciate you coming on and having a chat to us, mate. I hope we get an Adelaide Rams back in the competition uh, and make the NRL truly a uh, national or international competition, given that we've got a New Zealand team in there and maybe a team out of PNG is being floated as well. So, uh, listen, and uh, thanks very much, mate. Keep enjoying your footy, and hopefully you'll have a local team to barrack for shortly. Hopefully, man. I'm looking forward to it. Thank you so much, Ricardo. No problem at all. There we go. That is Aidan Laird, uh, part of the Adelaide Rams Facebook fan group, uh, who are fizzing about the prospect of a team out of South Australia being added to the NRL with the expansion. They reckon Peter Valandis wants 20 teams. We'll see. We'll talk more about that after this. Double eight double three or 0800 150 811. Where do you think they should expand to? If you're going to go and put three more teams in the NRL, where should they be based? I want to hear from you. Double eight double three or oh eight hundred one five oh eight eleven. It's twelve away from nine. Yeah, this is SENZ Extra Time, uh, seven away from nine o'clock here. And uh, coming up after nine o'clock, uh, we're going to talk a bit of football and uh, we'll hear from Tim Sally, the captain of the Black Caps, after that remarkable last ball win against Sri Lanka. Honestly, just inches in it. Kane Williamson took a bye on the last ball of the day. If he'd been out, it would have been a draw. Uh, but uh, no, it was. Was it a draw? No, it would have been a tie, uh, but he managed to get in by about five centimetres, and that meant that the Black Caps won by a run, uh, which is absolutely crazy finish. So we'll hear from both the captains in the next hour, plus we'll talk a bit of football as well coming up on the show. Uh, but Ben, I uh, put it out there before. Um, I mean, if the Adelaide Rams uh, are an option, and we've got three teams uh, going to be added to the NRL in expansion, where would you want to see those teams? To be honest, I'm not really fussed on the teams. I just want there to not be an odd number of teams because I just don't like it. Okay, so you just don't want the buy? Is it just because it messes with your fantasy team? <laughs> no, I just I just find it a bit weird. Like I would find it really hard as an athlete and a team to like the Dragons. You have to wait an extra week mm. to get up to start the competition, or then you're a team like Penrith who got the bye coming up this week, and you just get a bit of momentum or a bit of combinations going. Then you got a week off. I just don't like it, to be honest. I just and I look at other major competitions around the world, and you know everywhere else has. An even number of teams. Yeah, well, that is true. They do. Um, and that is something that they'll need to work out. But, I mean, they, if they get to 20 teams, that means three more. Now, uh, they've said that Adelaide is a possibility. Um, they have also said that I think Cairns is a possibility, which would mean another one in, in Queensland. I don't know about Cairns, whether or not we would sustain one. I don't know if the population's big enough. Uh, and then maybe a Pacifica team, potentially based out of Fiji or Papua New Guinea. Yeah, I mean, that would probably be the place to go. I guess the kind of issue at the moment would be <clears throat> did, where's the talent, you know? How how are you going to spread the current rugby league talent across 20 teams? Because people really thought the Dolphins were going to struggle mm. based on what they got. Well, I'd say Wayne Bennett took the the money ball approach based off the, the film and what well, the, the Oakland A's method, I guess, is a better way of calling it. But... When I kind of think, okay, if you add to another team and you have to strip down the talent even more, it's kind of like, is that pushing it a little bit? Well, that's why I wonder whether or not Adelaide would work because they don't have rugby's not big there, so you can't pilfer from rugby. You don't. You've only got five teams playing in a statewide league. Uh, 
I don't know that they've got the depth. WA makes more sense. I'd want to, I want a team in Perth. Yeah, I'd say Perth would make a bit more sense. But look, I think it's probably NRL just trying to make inroads in different markets again. Just so that's probably what it's just coming down to. And who knows? There could be a talent out there waiting. And I'll tell you, the other place that I think needs needs another team is New Zealand. Yeah. I'd agree. Put one in Christchurch. I think uh, Kempe floated it last year. The Southern Bears, have them based out of Christchurch? I think the Stewart Island Bears. <laughs> Stewart Island Great Whites, that's what they need. That's what they need. It is coming up 9 o'clock here on SENZ. It's just gone 9 o'clock here on SENZ. This is Extra Time with Ricardo Ball through till 10 o'clock. Uh, we're going to be talking about a football, but a cricket this hour. Joining us now uh, out of Wellington is Rupert Kimmies. He is the head coach of Wellington Olympic. They played against Auckland City on the weekend. A team they'll know, they know very well because they played them a lot last year as well in cups and leagues and a National League playoff final. Uh, Rupert, you'll be getting sick of the sight of them. Uh, no, nah, they're always a good challenger, uh, quality side, so um, I'm sure we'll play them a few more times this year as well, so I've got to get used to them. Yeah, I'm sure you will, mate, I'm sure you will. Um, it's an interesting situation that you're in, so you play home and away, you got the home leg done uh, this weekend, it finished in one or draw, and we'll get to that shortly, uh, you've got to come up to Auckland this weekend uh, for the second leg, but this isn't how you thought the OFC Champions League was going to go this season, was it? No, well, originally we we thought it was going to be two teams uh, going uh, to to the O League and, and Vanuatu in May, but um, yeah, later late last year they kind of threw it in there that it was going to be qualifying against um, Auckland City, and originally we thought it was going to be the first leg was going to be the National League final, but um, yeah, so we get to play them lots of times. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you're probably quite happy that that, that turned out not to be the case. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, uh, the the game on the uh, the game on the weekend. Um, it felt like there might have been. You know, was this was there a small lead ball inside the football and a magnet behind one of the goals? Because all the action seemed to be behind the goal that uh, you defended in the second half. Yeah, I think so. It was definitely a game of two halves. So I think we had the better of them in the first half, but then they had the better of us in the second half. Eh? So um, yeah, no, but we're looking forward to next weekend. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, in terms of how you uh, tackled that, uh, you know, how much can you take from the games that you played against them last season going into into that game last uh, last weekend? Uh, yeah, we got a, a reasonably new team, eh? so I think there was uh, five new starters from the the team that we put out um, for the national league final. Um, so, I mean, with the squad we got, I was, I was really confident going into the game, but it was also one of those unknowns because we only had three or four pre-season games where, you know, pre-seasons are like, it's very hard to know mm. what kind of performance is going to put out in the competitive fixture. So, um, you know, when the boys put on a good performance, um, we're pretty happy with it. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, what are the work-ons for you this week uh, before you, you head to Kiwi Tier? Well, I mean, where do you think you can be better? Uh, oh, you can always be a lot better. Eh? Um, you know, we're, we're pretty happy with the one-all draw in the end. We're, we're kind of, Went a little bit more defensive when we were 1-0 up. Um, tried to do the old Mourinho park in the bus. but <laughs> So um, well, they managed to nick one as well and get it back to one all. But um, the main thing for the two legs is obviously going uh, up to Kiwatea Street uh, this weekend. And it's just it's one game of football. Anything can happen. So um, the boys will give it all. Our fitness is getting better and better. And I'm sure the boys will be 
um, better for it after a good run out um, the weekend in Spain. Yeah, I mean, Kiwi Tia is, I, I think, uh, quite a narrow pitch, isn't it? I mean, how is that different to uh, Martin Lucky where you normally play and, and how do you have to adjust to play on it? Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, we'll have to pace it out when we get up there. So it's yeah. one of those ones that those kind of pitches can be quite deceiving, you know, just because the grandstands on both sides um, sometimes look a bit more narrow than they actually are. Um, but, you know, I think that will suit us quite well just with some of our attackers that we've got um, to bring into the game. I think it's going to be, yeah, it's going to be a good game. Yeah, I'm, I'm mate. Looking forward to it. Uh, yeah, it, should, it should be a should be a cracker of a match, particularly with everything that that is on the line, right? I mean, um, I guess you know you said you, you lost a few from last season, um, and so you got a few new starters this season. What does it mean for you uh, either way if you do or don't make it to the OFC Champions League? Do you think? Uh, yeah, I mean, obviously, hey, we'll be incredibly disappointed if we don't make it to the O-League, because uh, it's one of those ones that if you knock out Auckland City, um, you'd be pretty confident going into the O-League to then punch on and go to the Club World Cup at the end of the year. So it's a massive goal of ours. Um, I think, however, it's probably, you know, Auckland City's been to the O-League for the last how many years in a row. So I think there's going to be a lot more pressure on them than us going into the, um, the game. That's going, you know, we're definitely going in as the underdogs um, in many people's eyes. Uh, but, you know, there's going to be disappointment if we don't make it. But, um, yeah, I think uh, we've got a very good chance and we'll be really ecstatic when we do make it. What about uh, changes for your team this week? Is it Did everybody come through uh, OK on the weekend? Uh, you got you got any injury concerns? Uh, there's a couple of little uh, niggles here and there. As always, in those big games, you always pick up a few knocks. Um, but, no, we're looking reasonably good um, for the weekend coming. There's no major uh, concerns at the moment, touch wood, so... When you play Auckland City, I mean, you mentioned they've been to so many Club World Cups and, and uh, Oceania Champions Leagues as well. Um, how do you how do you look at that team and decide um, where you need to target, who you need to close down? Um, it's more around just talking to our guys about um, like the team that we've assembled now. Um, I think our squad's just as good as theirs, so it's more the belief in our own team, really, and the players. Um, and not trying to get caught up with the Auckland City teams of the past and stuff as well. Um, and it's more just going out there and taking it to them and putting on a, a good display and, you know, and getting the uh, win. But as we know, it's uh, very hard to get wins against Auckland City. But, um, yeah, it's coming. So we hope it's this weekend. Yeah, I hope it's this weekend indeed. Uh, in terms of the guys that you have lost, um, how big a loss are they and how have you gone about trying to replace them? Uh, just... The type of players we lost, it just changed the way that we played a little bit. We are really, really strong on the transitional stuff last year. Um, and we're, we're missing guys like Johnny and Kalen and, um, and Jesse Randaway. They're just rapid as and very good at pressing. But we've brought in different guys in different positions that are, you know, just at the same level quality-wise. Um, and then, yeah, so it's just changed us in terms of the style of football a little bit. Um, but, you know, it's pros and cons each way. Yeah, Jesse Randall, obviously, he, he caught the eye of a few. And when ben, ben Wayne went over to Plymouth, I did see that story that he had, uh, I think, got a trial opportunity at Barnsley. How did that go? Um, I think, did I see somewhere that he's now playing in the States? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, um, yeah, he signed for a, a team, um, I think it's called the USL, is it? The, mm-hmm. the Kind of the second division, but not over in America. Yep. Um, so it was a good move for him, eh? So, but yeah, he's a, he's a young quality player, with a great attitude, man. He's, a real good guy to work with, so pretty stoked that he's kept on and got himself a pro contract. 
Yeah, that's fantastic. I mean, the USL, like you say, it sits under the MLS, but uh, there's definitely a pathway there if you if you prove yourself right. I mean, uh, and there's plenty of Kiwis kicking around at that level. I think James Moose is still over there playing at that level as well, isn't he? Yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah, when he went to Europe, I think uh, yeah, he had quite a few trials and stuff. But as we know, it's pretty uh, pretty hard to crack it in England. <laughs> so, um, but you know, a move to like America at his age, he's still got plenty more good years ahead of him. Um, and it'll give him, you know, should get good game time and make him develop as well. So, you know, it's definitely a good move for him. Yeah, fantastic move. All right, Rupert. Well, hey, listen, thanks very much for giving us some time tonight, mate. I really appreciate it. Uh, go well and uh, travel safe, all right? And uh, we'll see what happens. See if you can uh, make the O-League, yep. eh? Good luck to you. Yeah, cheers, man. No, no, thanks for taking the time as well to put us on. Yeah, no problem at all, man. No problem at all. Uh, here we go. Uh, talking... Uh, Champions League, OFC Champions League with uh, Rupert Kimmies. He is uh, the head coach of Wellington Olympic and uh, they take on Auckland City at Kiwi Tear Street this Saturday afternoon. If you're around there to watch that game, it'll be a massive game for both teams. It's a winner takes all very much. If you don't win it, you don't get to go to the O-League and uh, it'll. if you don't get to go to the O-League, you can't qualify for the Club World Cup and that's where uh, the money is as well for these teams. So uh, best of luck to both teams for that. It is coming up 10 past 9 here on SENZ Extra Time. When we come back, going to talk some beach soccer. It's a quarter past nine here on SENZ Extra Time. Ricardo Paul with you through till 10 o'clock. Earlier today, um, Oceania Football uh, invited me out to Mission Bay uh, to catch up with a guy they've got down here at the moment uh, teaching uh, beach soccer. To people, but with working with coaches and and working with administrators as well. Uh, now, beach soccer has its own World Cup, but strangely, New Zealand doesn't have a beach uh, a beach football team, a beach soccer team, doesn't have one. So, OFC have a beach soccer qualifying tournament tournament to make the beach soccer World Cup, and Tahiti are the dominant team. And Angelo Shirinzini uh, uh, is down here at the moment. Now, he is a Swiss coach, uh, former pro player as well, and then coached the uh, the Tahitians to fourth in the world at a World Cup and is currently the coach of the Swiss national team as well, who are currently ranked third in the world. He is in New Zealand at the moment with OFC doing some workshops and uh, extolling the virtues of beach soccer. I caught up with him earlier today. Excuse, you'll hear the helicopters overhead and the birds chirping. We were at, a, we were at Mission Bay in Auckland recording this interview earlier today. Here with Angelo Shirinzi talking beach football down at Mission Bay. I'm sorry, Angelo, that we don't have more sun. It's all liquid sunshine. No, it's fantastic here. I tell you, I love uh, New Zealand. It's a little bit like Switzerland. Same weather conditions, <laughs> uh, trees, and, you know, I, I love it. Yeah. Mate, well, welcome here. And uh, tell us a little bit about your background. I mean, beach football, I know you're heavily involved. You've coached Tahiti, you've coached Switzerland. How did you get into beach football? Um, this was a, a nice story. In 2000, I, I, I watched Eurosport. This is our main channel in Europe about sports. And I saw Eric Cantona, the former legend of Man United, playing beach soccer in Monaco. And you know, five against five, barefoot, um, on the sand. That is uh, pure football. I saw him playing there and then I was attracted. I went directly with the car down to Monaco. I saw the game. I was loved into the game about this moment and then I started with beach soccer in, in Switzerland. What about your football background before you discovered beach beach football? 
Um, I was former professional football player in Switzerland, but already with 25, I started my my trainer career, coaching, coaching and playing in football. I have a pro license, so it's the highest license in in in, in the world of of coaching. And then I was doing coaching stuff uh, in football till the age of 30, and then I I saw this moment with Eric Cantona, and I changed. It's a big change. How 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 different is the coaching for you between that and regular football? The coaching is same. You know, you need the same personality, and it's a, it's a team sport. But of course, we have other qualities. We have other techniques, other tactics. Um, even the the fitness standard is is different from from football. You know, it's quite different. It's more like an ice hockey. So you have to adapt to this, and then uh, everything is fine. So, Angelo, in terms of the physical demands on players and what they have to do, uh, I would imagine you use your calves a lot more. So, in terms of physical training, how much different is it? It's it's absolutely different. You know, playing on the sand, uh, you need a lot of strength, and also the speed is very important, explosive strength. Um, so, it's quite diffi- uh, different. But of course, it's in- interesting for football players to train on the sand to to improve their their strength, to improve their explosive strength, and of course. Have fun. It feels like a game where, because it's five on five, it's a smaller, smaller field, or if you, if you like, smaller court, mm-hmm. uh, that everybody has to be a 10, but everybody has to be a 6. Yes, absolutely. No, you, ha- it's, you need a lot of responsibility. And this is the nice thing of the game, because you are involved more than in football. In 11-side football, if you played already, you know that maybe sometimes in a match you have maybe 10, 11 contacts with the ball. But in beach uh, football, you are absolutely involved in the game, four against four with one goalkeeper. So you need to be ready and you can enjoy the game. How did Switzerland get to be so good at beach football? You don't have any beaches. Yes, we are like and we are not like New Zealand. We don't have so many beaches, but um, of course we have uh, sand in Switzerland from the rivers, and we have artificial um, courts which we built. We have in every big city in Switzerland we have a beach soccer field where you can also train, for example, um, beach volleyball. So we have a lot of courts, and uh, you know it was uh, it was us to pushing it. You know we train a lot. We, we named the team and we are playing the European League and we are training regularly and this brings success. New Zealand, on the other hand, has lots of beaches but no beach football team. Uh, how do you explain that and, and how are you trying to help us get a beach football team? You know, it's a little bit of a strategic um, idea. Maybe it's the... the, the the key, the key persons of, of the football union is not still, maybe they don't know the attractive um, ideas of this, of this game. But I'm sure in future that, that beach football will be also a topic in, in New Zealand and then you will have a lot of fun. Have you talked to, because New Zealand's most famous footballer, of course, is, is half Swiss in uh, Winston Rufery. He didn't play at Basel, he was at FC Zurich and at Grasshoppers and a few others. Uh, have you talked to him about this? <laughs> Not yet. I, I remember him. He was a bit, little bit older than me, so I can remember him very well. He was a fantastic player. And uh, I don't talk to him, with him about this, but maybe he can hear this, this interview and then he will start uh, bringing, also he will start playing beach football here or maybe he... He can initiate something here in, in New Zealand. It would be nice. In terms of the game itself, why do you think it's so important? I mean, is it a game that you think will bring the game to more people, like more people can partake? Yes, absolutely. And, you know, I think take, let it be easy. You know, it's, it's fun playing on the sand, playing on the beach. If you have some kids, you have a ball and you stay at the beach, they will naturally play, play beach soccer. So... 
it's only maybe a, a, a sort of knowledge or to start it, you know. And then when you start one time, then people will love it, and we will have maybe the same um, the same thing like in Tahiti that they are now is, is a big part of the federation, and everybody's playing beach soccer there. Now I think a beach football, and I think well, Brazil must be very, very good because you always see Rio de Janeiro, the beach, everybody down there playing. Um, what is the key to being successful at beach football? Yes, exactly. Brazil is very strong because with with these beaches that they have, Copacabana and football, there is religion. It's not only football, and um, they are very, very successful. And to become successful, it's uh, it is only one key. You have to play. You have to play a lot, and. That's the key to for success. If uh, somebody listening to this decides that they want to start a beach uh, football team or a beach football league, uh, what would your piece of advice be for them? Organize yourself. Bring, um, talk with football players, talk with interested people, um, organize um, tournaments. Simple, you know, go to the beach, take a ball, put two, two posts and play. And this is the start. And then, of course... It develops, and you will see it's it's fast developing. If you with your beaches here, I think there is no problem to play beach soccer. And what are you doing with yourself now as a coach? Are you still? I know you were at Tahiti. Are you still at Tahiti? Um, no, at the moment I am coach of Switzerland. Still coach of Switzerland. Yeah. We I will go back in two weeks after Thailand qualify. I will go back to, to Switzerland to, quali- uh, to to prepare Switzerland for the upcoming FIFA Beach Soccer World Cup. And um, the last four years, I've also also coached parallelly from a club team in, in Russia, Crystal. But unfortunately, of the war, I could not go this year. But um, I hope I can go back, go back there soon. Have you managed to have a kick around on a beach anywhere with the man that started it all, Eric Cantona? Listen, I played a lot of matches against Eric Cantona with his France, and he was very successful. He won the first World Cup in, in, in Rio de Janeiro with France. And 2001 to 2005, we played maybe 50 matches against each other. Uh, he was former captain and, and, and striker of the France beach football team. So we had a lot of opportunities. And we also we get, we went together as FIFA experts to, to many islands. We were, for example, in Mauritius together. We did some, some matches together there and we helped them to improve the coaches and the players. So I met him a lot. Now at the moment, he's a little bit more quiet. He's living in Portugal, Lisbon with his wife and he's doing a little bit less in, in football but it was a fantastic time Excellent, Angela, thank you very much for your time enjoy your stay in New Zealand and I hope to talk to you again soon Thanks Ricardo, it was fantastic It's 9.27 here on SENZ Extra Time we just had one hell of a finish to one hell of a test match Sri Lanka in New Zealand at Hagley Oval coming into the last day we had rain, 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 right through till 3 o'clock. meant we had limited overs, but when the play did get underway, it meant the Black Caps had a target. But so did the Sri Lankans. The Sri Lankans needed 10 wickets to win the test. The Black Caps needed to score 285 runs in about 60 overs. In the end, they got it done on the last ball. If it had been a run out, it would have been a tie. If it had, uh, if he got th- home, New Zealand would have won by one run. And that's exactly what happened. Let's hear from the captains post-match, starting with Black Cap skipper Tim Saudi. Um, I don't know. I think it's probably talking to people that watch the England test and probably talking to people that w- would have watched this test. I think when you're watching it, it's probably a little bit harder. But when you're invested in it, you sort of... Yeah, no, the guys are reasonably calm throughout the day. Obviously, a lot of rain around this morning, and um, the guys are still reasonably calm. And, and I think as long as having 
someone like Kane at the crease, the guys were, were, were very trusting in what he was he was going to do. So, um, and alongside Daryl there for, mo for most of the day, it was uh, it was a great partnership that got us in that position um, late in the day. What is it about Kane in these circumstances that he has that mental capacity to soak up pressure? Oh, I think he just he just loves it. Like he's just a world class player and. And I think uh, world-class players are able to perform in different conditions and different situations, and he's done that for a, his whole career. Um, even when he was young, he was he was the guy that sort of yeah, you sort of leaned on from a young age. So yeah, I think um, everyone um, yeah it was just uh, just having him at the crease, and I think we saw his class even with that last boundary. Like it was just a just a unbelievable shot um, to beat two midfielders on the boundary to the big side and um, just the calmness in which he does it I think is, is good for the group. Seeing him and how calm he is out in the middle I guess keeps us keeps us all calm on the sideline as well. How did the team cope with the Ducks? It was rain affected to start with and you only had really a narrow window. Did you, did you sort of break it down to like a one day or how did you focus on that? Still um, yeah, it's still a tough chase with the with the rain around, but we um, we actually just let the two guys that are in just go, and then we actually spoke after they went about how we sort of broke it down, steady broke it down into how we sort of ideally wanted the day to go, um, but like a one day chase. But the two guys that were in most experienced batters, um, let them go. They know what they're going to do. Um, we knew that Sri Lanka needed early wickets, and we had our two best batters out there to to try and um, counter that as well. So um, it was just about, I guess, getting into the day, um, getting guys back in, and, and once they're in, then we just knew it was one big partnership, and, and thankfully Daryl and, and Kane were able to do that. And just on a personal level, how are you finding the, the leadership and, and you know, just dealing with these... Uh Situations in these uh, tough situations where you get so tight? Um, yeah, I think it's uh, just trying to keep calm. Um, I think a reasonably calm person, and the guys, it's a pretty calm group as well. So um, when you've got one of our best players ever out there playing like that, it's, it's made a, a lot easier. But I think just the, the belief in the character of the group in the last, well, not only the last two tests, but um, we saw it in Pakistan, we've seen it for a while. It's a changing group, but the belief from the guys that have been able to come in and, um, and We've had a couple of bad days and, and to be able to bounce back and, and know that someone's going to put their hand up and, and um, we just need a couple of guys to go with them. So, um, yeah, I think that's a sign of a, a good side and, and the belief amongst the group um, where we are to, to come from positions that, um, that aren't of, of strength. So what was going through your mind last ball, sort of watching in the, the dressing room upstairs? Um, probably not what unfolded. <laughs> um, yeah, it was uh, guys were, yeah, Probably had a rough idea it was going to go short, but um, we just knew Kane had to get some bat on it, and um, and he wasn't able to. So it was, uh, it was, yeah. Was, uh, once we saw Wags was in, we didn't realise that um, that the the, the bowler actually thrown the stumps down. So it was, um, yeah. It's uh, I guess as as close as you can get to a to a to a tied match. What do you say about Neil Wagner coming out there with um, torn hamstring and bulging disc in his back, um, going out there and, and you know having a get through that by um, gutsy stuff from him. Yeah, again, just shows you how much the side means to him, and um, and it's been a, a big. Uh, he's been a massive part uh, player for us for a long period of time, and it just does mean uh, so much to him. And there's no stopping him. He was he was out there. Um, yeah, it takes a lot to to stop Wags, and um, any, for the team, he'll 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 be up to do it. So um, yeah, it just shows you again what guys are willing to do for this for the side. How critical do you feel those Matt Henry runs were in the first innings, and those little cameos that you yourself and uh, Wagner had made in the innings um, to the, the final result? 
Yeah, I think they were massive. I think Daryl's innings obviously was um, was uh, was a massive turning point that sort of got us back in. And, and um, any time that the the lower order able to, to contribute like we did um, is, is massive as well. And it got us back and got actually got us a, into the lead. Um, and then I think I look back at a couple of moments. I look back to, to that the, the runs that we were able to, to leak out, and then yesterday being able to, to bowl them out. And, um, and not get them into a position where they could declare and dictate how many runs they wanted. So I think there's a couple of moments there where you look back on and um, and probably turning points in the game. And obviously, what's your run for the base in there? How do the guys sort of park this? I mean, it's, it's two crazy finishes in a row for the Black Cats. How do you sort of quickly switch ahead to the, the base on Friday? Um, yeah, the guys will uh, will enjoy some time in the changing room, I'd imagine, but we know it's a, it's a quick turnaround to the base, and it's been a pretty... Uh, pretty uh, tough workload, especially on the bowlers. So, um, yeah, I th- I'd imagine we'll sit back and enjoy um, and celebrate what was a, a great test test match and a great test to be a part of. And um, when you get to Wellington, our, our focus will be about doing what we can do to be- make sure we're fresh and ready to go um, in, in Wellington. So there you go. That is Tim Sally, the uh, Black Cap skipper, talking after that win. Daryl Mitchell, by the way, winning man of the match or player of the match. He scored 102 in the first innings. 81 in the second innings, uh, and I actually think he also um, did a pretty good job with the ball. He didn't take any wickets, but he was really economical. He only went for two and a half and over, over um, his, what did he bowl, about 20 uh, 20 overs over the two innings. So uh, I thought it was uh, very good from him as well, a good contribution with the ball, keeping uh, the Sri Lankans in check with the ball. Uh, DeMuth, uh, Karen Aratni is the captain of the Sri Lankan team. As you can imagine, he would have been horribly disappointed. He also spoke post-match. I think uh, uh, we just want to win the game. And uh, I know it's a, uh, it's like a 50-year game. We have to uh, defend the 285. But I think we also had a good chance to uh, win this game. You know, if we, if we get a couple of wickets early, we were in the game. But I think uh, they've done it pretty well. Uh, Kane uh, did the... The anchor role for for them and the rest of them are better around him. When Mitchell uh, got the momentum, what they want, yeah, it's uh, yeah. Unfortunately, we have in the losing side, but I think as overall uh, we done really great job in here, uh, losing a toss in a green pitch, and we battled really well. And even the second inning, uh, the batters and the bowlers, I'm really impressed with the, with the boys what they did uh, in the last few days. What do you think was the key moments that sort of cost you and, and today and those tense moments? Oh, I think uh, uh, the first thing is uh, the matronry got 70 uh, and that, that, the, that the moment I think uh, we slightly uh, uh, left uh, from, us, uh, from us because we, uh, we should have uh, easily uh, get a uh, to, uh, I think uh, 100 to 150 lead, but I, unfortunately, that's the moment I think uh, we lose in the lead, and they got a uh, 18 runs lead as, uh, ahead for us. But uh, yeah, we, we were trying really hard. The bowlers uh, they did really great job, and yeah, they had a luck as well. But uh, yeah, uh, going forward, I think uh, overall, I'm, as a, as a captain, I'm really happy the way boys are played. Yeah, I think uh, that's part of the game. But I think uh, if if we if we can grab that catch, it could have been a different story. But uh, yeah, uh, it's a part of the game. Uh, uh, catcher uh, can drop the catchers in the tough uh, tough period. Even the even the misfield we did a few uh, times. That's cost us for us the game. 
uh, yeah, going forward, I think we have to minimize those uh, mistakes. And uh, if you if you if you want to be the side like New Zealand in New Zealand, we have to minimize the all the all the mistakes. Can I just ask, um, what are your thoughts on those, those wives that were called? You were talking to Umpire Gaffney after the over. When Joe Sarai was caught for three wides in the, the over, where do you sort of stand on, on, on that decision? Yeah, I think uh, we just want to check when, when, the, when the fast bowlers are bowling uh, with the 7-2 uh, field, uh, even the leg side 6-3 six, six, field, uh, they didn't uh, call a wide. So I think that's why I'm asking uh, for the wide, the same thing uh, the Jaisur is doing because there's nothing on the uh, in the in the good area for, for Jaisuria. There's a rough on the leg side, so we're just trying to uh, get the maximum out of it. Uh, and that's not a negative bowling. We, we bowl uh, four, four, five field. So just uh, one ball uh, on the leg side and call wide. So that's what we want to know, what's the criteria uh, when, when the fast bowlers are bowling and the spinners are bowling. So I think, uh, uh, and uh, they, they were trying to get the, uh, you know, get the, uh, get the uh, exactly criteria uh, in the, uh, for the committee, and they will let you let, let us know in the future what's uh, what are what are the the changes they can made. Mm. Carlos, one more. Just how, how much do you feel the the rain factor losing the overs uh, hurts Sri Lanka today with your your bowling? Yeah, I think uh, that's uh, that's uh, if the. The overs we losing, uh, I think that's it's 50-50 game. You know, uh, they knew that they can uh, go for it, and if if they are not, uh, they can't win the game. They can uh, end up in a draw. But we just have to, you know, it's not easy when when uh, when you uh, bowling like uh, the New Zealand side. They they are good batters and they have they're playing plenty of T20s uh, like Mitchell uh, and and. Uh, uh, the other left-hander who played really well. I think uh, they all have the firepower. They, when they need, they can go for it. That's uh, and e even the rain. Uh, you know, it's hard to uh, feel uh, feel uh, in the out outfield. And even the ball get wet. There's no nothing side movement for the bowlers. That's a bit of things. I think uh, we we uh, cost the uh, some cost the game as well. I think everyone knows uh, the pre previous uh, test tours here. We could do anything uh, much here. I think, but we were uh, we were the, the day day two and and the day four. We were really uh, ahead of the game, and we did a uh, great job. Even the bowlers, they bowled really well. Uh, uh, the line and length was good. Even the batters, they prepared really well, uh, and. Uh, the whoever got the uh, start, they they uh, make the maximum out of it, and that's why I said uh, we were done really uh, pretty good well, good job in this this condition. It's a green top uh, losing the toss. It's not easy against Southie and uh, uh, Wagner and those are the fast bowlers. I think, but we did a really good job. 350 is a good score in the first innings, and yeah, but uh, I think we did really really great job. So. I'm not worried about the boys. They 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 us out and uh, give their best. Yeah, unfortunately we were in the losing side, but as a captain, I'm really happy the way uh, boys played.
There you go. It is 20 away from 10, and uh, those are the post-match comments of both uh, Black Caps and Sri Lankan captains. The next test starts St. Patrick's Day this Friday in Wellington at the Basin Reserve. Looking forward to that one. And then there are three ODIs as well. The first on the 25th of March in Auckland. It's a day-nighter. Then the 28th of March in Christchurch, followed by the 31st in Hamilton. And then we roll into uh, three T20 matches as well. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see the makeup actually of that Black Cap squad for those white ball games. I think it's released tomorrow morning at around five. Uh, that will come out the, what the teams are. Uh, but there's going to have to be some juggling because uh, there's cert- a certain amount of players are going to be off playing IPL that won't be available for the Black Caps for those white ball games. So we'll uh, keep an eye out for that tomorrow morning. It is 18 away from 10. When we come back, we'll look at the Premier League over the weekend and get the thoughts of some of the managers involved.